Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and with James Holland. And what are we doing this week, Jim? Uh, well, it's December 41 week, isn't it? 80 years okay. ago. Okay, so, for the first time, British and Empire troops will meet the Germans with an ample supply of equipment and modern weapons of all times. The battle itself will affect the whole course of the war. Now is the time to strike the hardest blow yet struck for final victory. Home and freedom. The Desert Army may add a page to history which will rank with Blenheim and Waterloo. The eyes of all nations are upon you. All our hearts are with you. That's Winston Churchill's battle address. Brilliant. Yeah, but I mean Blenheim. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Remind us. Remind us you're Churchill. Yeah, Blenheim. I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's a bit harsh. Yeah, trying to do great battles, great victories. I know, but you know what? But that, you know. All oh, right, are you related to the Duke of Marlborough? All right, okay, didn't realise that. Um, <laughs> the Battle of Sidi Rezeg. It's not got quite the same ring, has it? No, it hasn't. Uh, um, so we're going to talk about Crusader. Yeah, and, and you know, we're gonna, yes, exactly, because the, the battle is raging in in the in the Western Desert at this time. This is in yeah. Libya, and um, it's around the east, the 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 eastern part of Cyrenaica. So you go along from from um, Alexandria and the Nile Delta yep. and it's sort of it, the coast is fairly kind of sort of consistent yep. and then then there is this sort of northward bulge um, and, and it kicks off with the, the, the coastal town of Solemn Solemn and then just a little bit further up as it's sort of the coast is pushing northwards is Bardia um, and then about a sort of you know 60 miles on 70 miles from Bardia is Tobruk yeah. And um and, and then it goes all, all, all the way off so at the, at the, the bulge at the eastern end is the Halfire Pass Yes, and, uh, Hellfire Pass, as it was. Yeah, known. and Sidi Suleiman and Beer Shefazen, and at yep. the western end is Tobruk. With the yeah, and I've actually I've been to the Hellfire Pass. Pass, it's, it, it's incredibly dramatic. So, so you've got this very, very flat desert, and then incrementally it, it rises up and rises, rises up, and you suddenly realise you've got this huge escarpment, and so the the Hellfire Pass is 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 the is over above Solomon, and I've been to Solomon as well. You, yeah. you you climb up the pass. There's this road that goes up the part, uh, up this escarpment, uh, yeah. angles up the escarpment, and then suddenly on the top, you're yeah. in Libya. Yeah, and then it's all flat again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it's incredibly dramatic, and it, and it does have this. You know, it is just it is sand and and rock and and some desert vetch. Um, it it's it's very dry, kind of difficult. Um. Um, terrain very dramatic and on on the flat bits you know there's these little sort of folds and wadis and things like this but they're all they're all kind of insignificant i mean you know compared yeah. to i don't know europe or 
Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, and so what we have this is this is um, the, the the Titanic attempt, Orkin Lex offensive, the Titanic attempt to clear. Yeah, so he's, take, he's taken over fo- yeah. following the, the 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 failure of of Battle Axe. Yeah. Battle Axe has been this is the summer the June nineteen forty one offensive overseen yeah. by uh, um, Wavell, who's the commander in chief of yeah. the Middle East. Who yeah. has this huge command that sort of stretches into a kind of Iran and Iraq and all the rest of it? Yeah, yeah, um, and and, um, and down into East Africa, uh, and Battlex had just hasn't achieved what what is hoped, uh, and it is it's accepted that there is a sort of change at the top is required. So Orkinak is brought in; he's considered to be you know one of the kind of upper end people. You know, he's he's got experience of Norway, but really he's an Indian Army man. Uh, and and this is considered a good idea because he's got a gr- he's got a good reputation. He's incredibly experienced, but also he's a, he's a good sort of duke commander. Yeah. And the, uh, the, I mean, the thing to bear in mind is North Africa, the, the the Indian Army. That's sort of its that's its patch, isn't it? This is where you yeah. fight your duke battles. You fight yeah. your um you fight your BEF battles in France. Although obviously that hasn't panned out properly. But but this is where the 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 you know the the good bit of the Indian army is sent as your reserve, isn't it? So, yeah. so he is very much, Okulik is very much, Wavell, of course, is sent to India and and then makes a complete uh, mess of Burma. But that, that's a, that's a story. That's a story for another time. Africa. But, um, uh, but Okulik is, Okulik is in charge with Cunningham beneath him. And the idea is they're going to, they're going to do for Rommel. Uh, finally, do for Rommel and they're going to do it by building up kit building up stuff using the basically using allied um uh, allied preponderance of equipment and supply and yes. all the things that we've talked about for the last two and a half years that are you know the ki- the, the key to victory using all those things and bringing those things to bear on an opponent who doesn't have those advantages and that's having what, an army having an army exactly exactly and that's what army. it's only just come into being. Yeah. 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 The Middle Eastern force, isn't it? And that's what they, that's what they're trying. That's what that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. Um, and they brought a winner in in um, Alan Cunningham, who is the yeah. brother of the, the more famous Admiral Cunningham, yeah. commander yeah. of the chief of the Mediterranean fleet. And he's fresh from um, victory in Abyssinia and, and yeah. East Africa. So he's a winner, proven, proven winner. He's the new commander of um, Eighth Army. And Orkinlek is the new commander in chief of the Middle East. Yeah. And um, you know, and everyone's pretty pretty chipper about it. Really, um, they think they should do it. More importantly, though, there's been some massive changes in terms of air power. Yeah, and, uh, yes. and I think it's this is when those big changes. This is the birth of the of the of the RAF Allied Tactical yeah. Air Force, really. And and it's a really really interesting time because um, RAF Middle East um, has been building up its strength they, again they've brought in some really top draw people so Tedder yeah. is the commander uh, the air officer commanding in chief of um, RAF Middle East they yeah. brought in Mary Cunningham as the commander in chief of the Desert Air Force and Desert Air yeah. Force is very much seen as, as the close air support this is the tactical yeah. air force well, and there's because, been huge well, arguments well, so far about yeah, go on. And, well and there's, there's no debate about um, whether you whether your effort is a strategic bomber force or a fighter force, or because you, you you don't need a you don't need a fighter force, to, you know, except to to protect um, airspace. You're not you're not protecting Britain. You're not striking no. out at, at Germany with strategic bombers. So actually, there's a there's a sort of you know in a way there's a sim, there's a simpler set of options in front of the air force in the desert, isn't there? They they you're not you're not going to get log, bogged down in those debates, are you? 
No, but the, but there's been this recognition that the RAF has formed in, in, into commands, yeah, um, rather than which have specific roles. So you have bomber command, which goes off and does bombing. You have coastal command, yeah. which protects the coast and the seaways. Yeah. You have fighter command, which defends uh, defends Britain, and then you've got overseas commands, which are a kind of sort of you know mishmash of all things. But but it's yeah. absolutely recognised that in France in 1940, the the, the sort of the well, air the forces that were sent to... over there weren't really, you know, the air striking force and all this kind of stuff. They hadn't worked out how they were cooperating with troops on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the Luftwaffe had completely shown the way. The Luftwaffe obviously grows organically as, a, as what we would call a tactical air force, providing close air support. Uh, and the RF just hasn't kind of really, really worked it out. And of course, it's starting to work it out in the Middle East. Yeah. But there's been debates, you know, over who has the decisions on where targets should be. And the army commanders think it should be the army commanders and the air force commanders think it should be the air force commanders. And this actually goes to the very top. It goes to Churchill and Churchill is the ultimate arbitrator of it. Um, and he comes down in favor of the RAF and it's very interesting. Yeah. He issues at the beginning of September, he issues um, um, a new directive about the use yeah. of air power. Yeah. Um, specifically in the middle East. Yeah. And it is basically written by Tedder. Yeah. And Tedder has been at the Air Ministry. He's he, again, he's very experienced and he's very, very competent. He's an incredibly good administra administrator. He understands that air power is rapidly evolving. He's a modernist. Um, he's got he's he's very, very bright, um, and he's got that sort of clarity of thought about how to move things forward. Yeah. And and the key phrase of this, and it's worth actually, I'm just going to read it out because it is worth saying yeah. is the Army Commander in Chief will specify to the air officer commanding-in-chief the targets and tasks which he requires to be performed, both in the preparatory attack on the rearward installations of the enemy and for air action during the progress of the battle. It will then be for the AOCNC, the air officer commanding, to use his maximum force on these ob objects in the manner most effective. In other words, yep. the army puts in the request for targets to be hit, but where they're hit and when is decided by the air commanders. And that is yeah. absolutely the correct decision. Yeah. Air because, support, air support because, control, isn't it? it, it yes, what, because what the army wants is sort of constant air umbrellas over the battlefield. Yeah. But obviously what the air, of, uh, air, air commander understands is that there's a whole load of targets to the rear that those on the ground in the middle of the battle can't see or appreciate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's about prioritising. But, but part of this overhaul of the air force in the Middle East is about new systems as well. So they introduce what's called air support control. Yeah. And this is a small unit of army and RAF personnel who are given trucks and radios and attached to each of the corps. Yeah. Of the army corps. Yeah. Then in addition to that, each brigade also has a forward air support link, which is yeah. just an RAF team. Um, also with a truck and a radio. Yeah. And so the, the brigade can then filter in the requests yeah. to them. They can then pass them on to the um, yeah. to the ASCs, the air support controls, and, yeah. and, and so up the chain. But that can all be done very, very rapidly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the idea is that they can, you know, make make air support requests that that will be considered immediately. <laughs> yes. Um. Uh, but fed into the fed into the sort of sieving thing to figure out what you need to do, what the priorities are. But at least you at least you've got a channel. Which which didn't exist right. didn't exist before. Um, exactly. I mean, it's, it's very interesting this because I think, and, and we'll we'll probably get to this. One of the things I think that characterises Crusader is um, 
is you have a lot of people. They're definitely they're barking up all the right trees, and and they're they're fig they're doing the figuring it out figuring it out. It's just they don't quite have the stuff yet. No, and all and also it hasn't got into everyone's head yet how this will work, how it can work. Right. And, and in, in lots of ways, I think, I think, um, you know, you see this a lot. We talk about the, we talked about the battle of Britain a lot that, you know, the, 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 the doubting system doesn't work very well to start with because it's, it's brand new. They haven't, they, they haven't yeah, done you gotta it. Test it. They haven't done it before. And by the end of the battle of Britain, it's absolutely shaken down and it's working yeah. uh, uh, very well and, and completely, completely fulfilling its promise and this is this is similar isn't it because the thing about the thing and, and other things other things cut, crop up in crusader that obviously then turn into major defining debates for the rest of the second world war in fact um uh and the things people are still arguing about today in, in terms of quality of armor for instance but we'll get we'll get to that in a minute but but this is what's interesting about this is is this almost falls into my you know nine months before nine months before you yeah. need it thing or, or or everything's everything's slightly after you need it you know you need to fight this battle now is what is what is what the is what 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 the chiefs of the imperial general staff think you've got to fight this battle now but you have not quite got the systems i quite think in place. I, I think i think that is right but i also think it's i think it's more that that britain is pursuing a, an opportunistic um strategy since yeah. the, the strategic earthquake of the fall of france yeah so, so it is planned for the battle for france and it hasn't panned out. Yeah. So suddenly everything's up in the air. So it's like, well, okay, so what do we do? And then suddenly the Italians kind of invade Egypt. So yeah. then they counterattack at Compass. And so they have this opportunistic approach to, to strategy. And don't forget, you know, Compass only lasts, you know, is, is Crusader is happening 11, you know, almost a, not quite a year after Operation Compass has been yeah. launched, yeah. which in the big scheme of things is not, a very long period of time no and suddenly they're operating in a major way in a desert which they'd not planned for yeah with with, a, with an armored you know with, with an army they'd not ever conceived of having yeah. so it's not surprising it's all taking a bit of time and suddenly you've got air forces which you hadn't conceived of using in this way in a desert where there's lots of sand and dust and wind and and, and difficulties and huge distances which they've not been expecting to use so it's, it's hardly surprising it's taken a little bit of time to kind of sort of shake down and yeah. work out about these systems. But what's really interesting is that they, they have recognised at this point the absolute key part of air power, not just in terms of their overall strategy, still not flesh and all the rest of it, but actually the air power is going to be crucial in every theatre of war, no matter where they are. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. about it's about working that out and and and. And, and letting it all bed down and kind of trial and error and all the rest of it. But they're starting to get some very, very clear systems because it's not it's not just the kind of how you communicate. It's also things like there's, you know, TEDA oversees a huge improvement in serviceability, which is obviously yeah. one of the big trials. Trying to trying to operate aircraft in the desert with all that sand. It's, it's a bit like kind of, you know, it, every time your prop goes, you're whipping up sand, yeah, yeah, which is then inevitably making its way into the engine. And that's acting like kind of sandpaper. Yeah. yeah. You know that's not really what you want. So there's huge serviceability problems. So you, but but you can't help that. And it's the same for both sides. Well, but I was just going to work out I, the systems by I, which I which you can sort say, that out. I was going to say. I was just going to say it is the same for both sides. And the Germans are also fighting an opportunistic war. But they've kind of been that they've kind of been bamboozled into having to fight. Right. Um, I mean, that's one of the, one of the advantages of Allied strategy. After all, is that that is that German strategy isn't isn't 
they're not thinking in imperial terms at all. The Germans, yes. the Germans don't have an Indian Army Reserve to bring, or Kiwis or whoever, or South Africans to bring to the desert. They, yeah. You know, they don't. They don't have those things. No. They're having to fight with the. They're, they're having. I mean, it's. They're having to fight with what they've got. Yeah. Uh, which is, and one of the things they've got is the Italians, after all. Which, which, yeah. <laughs> who've had, who've had a rough time in the desert for all sorts of reasons, and, and you know, and you know, it, it, it's. The five reverse gears thing and all that can't get can't can't get engaged in that with the Italians, but they've had a difficult time, yeah. and there and and you know the, we we talk about the gap between strategy and uh, uh, ability to accomplish it for the Germans, but the gap between strategy and ability to accomplish it for the Italians is far larger. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Um. Uh. And that's that's you know the government's fault. It's not not the Italian soldiers' fault. No, um, and so on. But I, I, I think what's really what, what's really interesting here, though, is that the Allies, yes, the British are fighting an opportunistic uh, strategy, but in the style that they have always fought war. Um, the British Empire has always done this. What you try and do is get the enemy to turn up somewhere which is difficult for them to engage you, and you have the Royal Navy as an advantage, even though you know things start going quite wrong in the Mediterranean. Um. Uh, for, for the Royal Navy, don't they? Yeah. 41, 42, it gets pretty sticky, pretty difficult. And, you know, we've talked about Malta a lot on the podcast. It gets pretty yep. hairy. But but that's still how you'd rather do it. You'd still rather the Germans are expending effort in North Africa, where it's difficult for them to do so, than in the than in than trying to cross the channel, as it, as it were. You know, you, yeah. you, you would trip them where you can grip them and you do it at, to... to to your con- at your convenience in North Africa or wherever, um, and so, but but the but the point of Crusader though is that because uh, I think in lots of ways, Crusader has echoes of of, you know of or pre echoes of, of of Alamein, you know the big ally build up, a big British build up, an attempt to bring the Germans to battle, an attempt to grip them and and a, a, a trip them. It's just you yeah. don't act you. The problem is, and the problems that unfold in the battle, and it's very interesting because because Cunningham's plan is supposed to be deliberately flexible. It's supposed to be, um, you know, he said, I, this is what, there's no detailed operational orders, circumstances change with time, enemy dispositions all of which is absolutely, All of which to, is quite right and sensible. Exactly. Not necessitate frequent amendments to orders. Any plan made should be elastic. He says that, right? Yeah. But the problem is, they're not really, they really can't quite do that. And this is why, you know, later on when Montgomery comes in and says, okay, there's limits to what we can do with Eighth Army. There's limits to what we're capable of. So I'm going to try and fight a battle that lives within those limits. And if anything, you know, and that's why he's, that's why he's depicted as cautious, because he's trying to not end up with his ass hanging out which is what happens halfway through crusader basically isn't it it's yeah. it's an ambitious well, should, should, should we have a look at the battle then should... let's talk about the battle then yeah we'll talk talk about the battle so so first of all it, it's it's preceded by a large amount of air activity yeah uh, um the RAF has a mass considerable advantage in terms of air power and they're yeah. bombing german positions and italian positions yeah. what the germans what the germans they've got they've got the uh, the africa panzer group yeah um and um, Rommel is in charge of that. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's the Africa Corps of two divisions and and the 15th Flight Division, and yeah. then there are the Italians as well. 
Um, yeah. And the chain of command is is slightly confused, um, but no one is in any mista- uh, any kind of misapprehension that it is Rommel who is in charge of the whole shebang. Yes, uh, 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 and he is. And it is amazing how often the Allies seem to um, launch battles when Rommel's away. Uh, and, and this absolutely proves. So they do they they do the commando <laughs> raid on the night before, um, yeah. on his on his um, headquarters, and he's not there because he's in Rome. Yeah. Um, and um, and then um, the idea of Cunningham is is um, uh, so so Rommel comes back and they're definitely caught off guard. They they, they don't see it coming despite yep. the kind of increased air activity and. Yep. and and Rommel, who's just arrived in, is a bit discombobulated and completely misreads the situation. And the situation yeah. is this. So basically, 8th Army is two core. It's 30 core and it's yeah. 13 core. Yeah. And, and what Cunningham does is 30 core is sort of amassed up to kind of sort of 40 miles southwest of Solomon, the Hellfire Pass. Yeah. And he's swinging, on, he's swinging round under. Straight up, straight up. Un, under, so yeah. under the, the first bulge yeah. that has Bardier and... And yeah. Sidious eyes and all, all the rest of it, um, straight up towards Tobruk. Yeah, and Tobruk has been, of course, under siege since the tenth of April, nineteen forty-one. Yeah, um, with uh, mainly uh, um, Australian troops in there. Yeah, holding out and, and proving just what a what a strong nut Tobruk is because it's got defences all the way around it. Yeah. It's got a harbour so it can be resupplied, etc., etc. Yeah. Yeah. So they're striking, striking towards uh, towards straight, uh, cutting across that kind of first corner of Cyrenaica yeah. towards Tobruk, while the plan is for 13 Corps to kind of sort of move much more closely to the coast. So kind of along the Via Balbea and the and the Trig the Trig Cabuzzo, which is a a trail exactly. rather than a road. Yeah, exactly. So Rommel thinks that they're striking for Bardia, and so yeah. that's where he sends the Africa Corps. And only the following day, and this is all the kickoff, by the way, is the 18th of November. And yeah. only the second day does he realise his mistake and then turn back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and although um, um, or, or, although 30 Corps have, have, um, have, have pushed, pushed on and then on the 20th, the, um, the, the forces in Tobruk are told to make a breakout. By the time Rommel realizes his mistake and then turns back towards the brook and realizes what's going on, suddenly there is this big confluence of armor, and it is Thirty Corps that's got most of the army at Sidi Rezeg, which is about ten, twelve miles southeast of Tobruk. Yeah, and this is this the, the biggest, crucible of the battle, and th- this is the big tank battle. Yeah, and 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 this is this is a, ta- a tank battle that that kind of. Um, dictates uh, a lot of tank talk ever since, isn't it? Because yeah. what you have is you've you've the Matilda II, a, a most important tank of the Second World War, um, Queen of the Desert, um, which has had to be had to be desertized. <laughs> Matilda, uh, Queen of the Desert, yeah, absolutely. It's had to be. It's exactly. It's had to be desertized. So, so, and that doesn't just mean painting it yellow, or or. Sky blue, although apparently Airfix got that wrong. It's one of the one of the interesting things about that is that the sky blue is not quite right. Um, uh, modelers, no. um, uh, anyway, uh, and and you've 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 you know you've an assortment of British types. You've some Stuarts, some Honeys, um, uh, as well. But the problem is, the Germans have got enough, and and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna fall right down the old. They've got the eighty eight problem. The German anti tank 
kit is better. Is than our anti-tank kit. Than our anti-tank kit. And also, this is what you you might call good tank country. So lots of wide open yeah. spaces. Now, the thing about good tank country is good tank... I, I, it, it's just a... It's good tank country if you've got a good tank. <laughs> maybe that, maybe that's what it means by good. Ta- it's good tank country rather than tank country. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Because the problem it, it, no, is, it, it's good country in which to manoeuvre. Good tanks. <laughs> you need good, because because the problem here is the British are still on the two pounder, and the two pounder just doesn't have. I mean, it's range, really, rather than punch. It's range. It's range rather than punch. Because the minute you're in wide open spaces and there's a, you know, and the, the, the 88 of legend, after all, can can offer offer Sherman a, a, a mile away. And we aren't talking about Sherman's here, even though the Matilda is the Matilda is pretty well armoured, actually. And so what happens is you end up with this armoured meat grinder, don't you, essentially? And the British don't quite have the radios yet to coordinate... Their yeah. armor the way they ought to. They run into they run into very well organized um, anti tank positions and yeah. situation situations and they end up it it, it it doesn't go well does it basically because the Panzers are well, able to it doesn't it's not the sweeping victory that everyone's hoping so <laughs> it's very interesting that I think that's fair to say I mean what 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 is absolutely coming to becoming absolutely clear is that. <coughs> In the desert war, the preeminent weapon is not the tank; it's the anti-tank gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and that is that is the big, that's the big reveal of of Operation yeah. Crusader. Very interestingly, one one person who's there and witnesses it is Alan Moorhead, the Australian journalist who writes for the for the Daily Express. Yeah, um, and whose book we're um, about the uh, data stages of the war, where Eclipse we're publishing next year. Yeah. But but I've got a really good description. So he witnesses. He's he's with. Um, uh, General um, Alec Gatehouse, yeah. um, uh, who's part of Thirty Corps. Um, I think he's a fourth fourth armor division, fourth armor yeah. brigade. Yeah. And um, he says it was novel, reckless, unexpected, impetuous, and terrific. Watch, and this is watching oh, God. the light Stuart tanks. God, I hate re- I hate these when they get. Oh, it's terrific! It really. I mean, yeah, well, hold on. on. They charged straight into the curtain of dust and fire that hid the German tanks and guns. Dust, smoke, burning oil, exploding shell and debris filled the air. From a distance, it was merely noise and confusion. I mean, this was this is this is something that that all those who kind of witnessed the desert war all testify to. Yeah, is that no one knows. What the hell is going on? Because you don't have church spires and you yeah. don't have hills and you don't have woods around which you can get your bearings. Yeah. So you go into suddenly the smoke and carnage absolutely everywhere. And one bit of desert looks like another bit of desert. Yeah. So you, you've got your compass. So you can you realise you're heading kind of sort of northwest. But all those features which help you to orientate yourself just go. So it just it just becomes so confusing. Yeah. And it just becomes this absolute swirl of, of different tanks. I mean, I, I remember talking to Albert Martin, who was in the Rifle Brigade, two Rifle Brigade, uh, you know, and he was in a carrier at this point. And he was saying that he just watched all these German tanks just go straight past them. They just never even saw them. Really? Yeah, they're just hurtling in, you know, they're like, we've got to get, get going in this particular direction. And they're just sort of beetling about. I mean, yeah. the other thing is, is that both sides are 100% mechanised. 
So this is an entirely mechanised war. It's a bit like you you need to think of it a bit like a sort of you know a sea battle. Yeah. Again, where you haven't got any kind of reference points really, uh, and you've got all these ships sort of swirling around different sizes and and you know you've got your you know I mean think think of the Battle of Trafalgar or something. Yeah. You know, and everyone's sort of swirling around, and within moments it all just goes absolutely to pot. Yeah. Uh, and this is what's happening, and yet they do break out of Tobruk. Um, successfully, the siege is lifted uh, and Rommel is forced to retreat and retreat quite substantially. I mean, yeah. back to the other side of Cyrenaica. Yeah. Yeah. So I ultimately, mean, he... when the fighting stops, which is sort of, you know, by the 9th of the ninth of December, it's all over. Yeah. Yeah, and he's lost. I mean, Rommel loses, well, the, Rommel on, loses this battle. On the 7th of December, he writes to his wife, Lucy, he says, I've had to break off the action outside Tobruk. On account of the Italian formations and also the badly exhausted German troops, I'm hoping yeah. we'll succeed in escaping enemy encirclement and holding on to Cyrenaica. Well, they don't. They they, they retreat to the far side of Cyrenaica. Yeah, yeah. So ultimately, it is it is definitely a British victory. It's just it, it's not the kind of sweeping, kicking and completely destroying it's them. Not, going... It's not the, dis, the the decisive thing that puts um, the Hun on the run, as it were. We're going to take a very short break. We'll be back in a second to talk more Crusader. Welcome back to We Have Ways to Make You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland. Operation Crusader is today's December week topic. Um, Jock Campbell of 7th Support Group, 7th Armoured Division. Um, he led his men into um, battle in an unprotected staff car, in his open staff car. Because because the radios didn't work. Yeah. And that's the only way he could lead his tanks into battle. Amazing. And I know, it's amazing. And you've got, I mean, you've got four VCs at the fighting in City Rezeg. Yeah. And and we know what we know what dishing out lots of VCs means. It means it, it means hasn't someone, gone quite as well as everyone hasn't quite it was gone quite as well as everyone hoped it might. And you need some good news um, from uh, the circumstances. But the key moment though is Cunningham decides. Cunningham is deciding to throw in the towel, isn't he? Cunningham yeah. thinks that that the, the, the pressure because after all that the British start this battle. With, uh, with in terms of tanks with numerical superiority, quite considerable superiority, the, the, the Germans are properly outnumbered, and it, as you say, it's the anti-tank thing that 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 sort of breaks that spell. And Orkinleck holds his nerve, doesn't he? Because Cunningham's saying we need yeah. to we need to we need to throw the, not throw in the towel, but like knock this on the head. It's not working. It's too difficult. And Orkinleck says during three days at your advanced HQ. And he writes, he writes to this to Cunningham during three days at your advance HQ. I've seen and heard enough to convince me, though I did not need convincing, that the determination to beat the enemy of your commanders and troops could not be greater, not in capitals. And I yeah. have no doubt, whatever, that he will be beaten. His position is desperate. And he is trying by lashing out in all directions to distract us from our object, which is to destroy him utterly. We will not be distracted and he will be destroyed. You've got your teeth into him. Hang on and bite deeper and deeper and hang on until he is finished. Give him no rest. The general situation in North Africa is excellent in capitals. There is only one order. Attack and pursue. All out, everyone. I mean, that's very interesting, isn't it? Because because what you do get is this sort of, you know, the, the with uh, uh, we've talked about again we talked about this on the uh, on the podcast before the sort of German blitzkrieg voodoo that some of the British 
army. Yeah. The moment things don't quite work, they oh Christ, it's going to all fall. The pack of the house of cards is going to fall in on itself because the Germans have pushed back, and Cunningham is susceptible to that uh, feeling, isn't he? Halfway mm. through this battle, and Orkinleck comes in and goes, "Don't be ridiculous." And I think that's really, really interesting. That's really interesting. That's that's interesting leadership from above, you know, yeah. from from above uh, uh, army level. Yeah, isn't it? The, 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 and that's what does, but it, but it's that different. It's that apparent differing that is what what does for Cunningham. Yeah, you know, because yeah. he's 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 obviously fired, and Richie gets brought in. And I know. Ah, that's terrible. But I, I was lucky enough because I, you know, I was I was researching North Africa, um, it, you know, in in the early two thousands. So yeah. there was still a huge number of people around, and 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 I met two really amazing people. First was Albert Martin, who was in the Rifle Brigade. He was from, you know, he was an East Ender, yeah. gone out there into the desert. He was just a, he was so brilliant, and he he was he was he was the ideal interviewee because yeah. he was completely together. Um, had written a self-published memoir and kept a diary at the time yeah. and was really good. So you had, you had the golden trilogy in terms of someone you want to write about. Yeah. yeah. The memoir, the diary, and they're still compass mentors. Yeah. Perfect. And, and he, and he was fantastic. And, you know, he was, he was, you know, he was in the um, seventh motor brigade and, and um, um, part of seventh armored and, was beetling around the desert and learning, and they they just became really tough. These people, you know, they yeah. they, you know, it was very much a kind of sort of you you accept the 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 conditions of the desert, or, yeah. or you sink or swim. You know, yeah. it, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's there's no way around it, and you've got to just embrace it and accept it for for, for what it is, um, yeah. and, and get with it. And he yeah. he was one of those. He, he they just learned all the tricks of trade, get rid of all the glass, all that kind of stuff. You know, strip everything down. Yeah. Um, then the other one was Sam Bradshaw. He's from Wigan. He was from Liverpool originally, and and uh, I lived in, in Wigan. And he was he was just an amazing guy. I mean, he he he, he just went through the entire war. Yeah. Um, you know, he he didn't come back to. He, he left in 1940 and didn't get get back home to Liverpool until late 1944 after being wounded very badly for by being shot in the neck in Italy. Yeah. Um, and, and he was very very badly wounded at City Rezeg in this right. battle of Operation right. Crusader. And his descriptions of what you know, he was in a he was in Ferret, which was his his Crusader in the sixth um Royal Tank um regiment. Yeah. Uh, and he got here and, uh, and managed to get out, but a couple of the guys in, in there didn't. Um he was picked up and had this absolutely nightmarish ambulance ride all along back to, to Cairo. You know, all that distance. It's a hell of a long way. God. You know, it's hours and hours and hours, and every bump. You know, was sort of being thrown up in the air on his on his stretcher in the back of his ambulance. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you can just imagine the guy above him was just bleeding to death straight on top of him. Oh God. Uh, and, and, and moaning. Everyone was moaning. The stench was appalling, uh, and it was incredibly graphic. And you know, their descriptions of of what it was like. Him and and Albert, their descriptions of what it was like in the Western Desert and just operating and existing and the food and the and the importance of tea and morale yeah. and yeah. the hardcore of people who've been in the Indian Army and the yeah. the Shufties and the Igorees yeah. and all Jaldi Jaldi and all these kind of sort of mixture of Arabic and and Hobson yeah. and Jobson Indian dictionary and stuff and you know the most important thing you got you know was you, you immediately had to make all your clothes look filthy and dirty because you know you didn't want to look too new and. You know, the number one thing was to have a white watch strap that you then made dirty. 
know, <laughs> things like you know, it's like small things like this, and 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 and, and the importance of letters home, and and the importance of Lily Marlena, you know, which yeah. is is the, is the kind of you know which lends itself to this idea of this sort of war without hate, and yeah. and I think that was genuine actually. That's that sensation that that you know they're all a long way from home, and and the influence of Nazism is is dissipated by the distance the geographical yeah. distance and, and the kind of alien environment. Yeah. A and there aren't SS troops there. And, you know, it, it, it's just a different type of warfare. Yeah. A and although people, both sides are fighting incredibly hard, there is this sort of mutual respect that seems completely at kilter and out of, you know, at odds with the rest of the entire war. Yeah. I mean, but, but, the, but the outcome of, of this offensive of Crusader, is that, yeah. is that, the British are, or the it's a I mean this is a Duke this is a Duke thing because yeah. I mean that that Tobruk has been salvaged Tobruk is exactly. back in, in, in exactly you know, is safe. one of the one of the battle summaries says Britain South Africa New Zealand Australia and Pole each readily acknowledges the Hun's stubbornness the accuracy of his fire this is from Jonathan Fennell's book this thing he's found. Yeah. And the superior quality of his equipment, but there is unanimity of feeling that they can outstay the enemy, that he will not stand up to cold steel. This mail contains no heroics, it's sober in tone, matter of fact, in its description of battlefield incidents. It's sprinkled throughout with a due and proper admixture of grumbling and self deprecation. So, this is the censor's re morale report. Yeah. And through it all shines the real spirit of the British soldier who may not relish the job at hand and is continually longing to back at home on, on home soil, but who will stick it out as long as necessary, however hard and perilous the way. But the problem is. Um, Eighth Army is knackered at the end of this battle, isn't yes. it? Which means, come January, when Rommel does a sort of reconnaissance in force and has a nose around um, uh, to see what to see what state they haven't got the stomach for it. No, 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 they haven't got the stomach. They just they just can't be asked to kind of. They, 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 they haven't got the strength. Yeah, they they've blown. They've basically blown themselves out. Um, uh, uh, on, uh, on the on this offensive, and so he's then able to push them back to the Gazala line, and I think, so so yes, it's a victory. Yes, or yes, it. Or, I mean, it's one of those. It's one of those. It's a victory, but was it worth winning? And is it worth? Was it worth what it did to Eighth Army in terms of, you know, because 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 from now on you do have this idea that British tanks are um are extremely vulnerable to. To ge to German yeah, anti-tank, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know stuff that, that that and that's a that's a that's a thing that that that's a thing that is lasts the rest of the war. Rest of the war, and it's talked the about 88. now. Talked about now as a fact, you know that yeah. that um, and when of course, very often people are talking about it regarding with regards to Normandy, where there are very few great big open stre stretches of land where what you need is an eighty-eight or a seventeen-pounder to fix the other guy a mile away. Yeah, in fact. It's, Things tend to be around the corner. Yeah, yeah. The there is this, this horrible realization that their tanks can't cut it against the 88s and, and, yeah. the, and the and the pack 40s, which are the 75 millimeter ones. Yeah. Um, but 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 which are also high velocity and have far greater range. Yeah. They, they just can't cut it, and that is absolutely true. I mean, yeah. there is there is just no getting away from that whatsoever. Yeah. And so what is required to counteract is a different type of thinking, and the thinking becomes incredibly defensive. Yeah. And, and and takes a backward step. Yeah. And Orkinleck is sort of going, well, what we need is more kind of mobile kind of, you know, 
um, German tactics, but were of our own sort of British um, British British sort of um, take on it. Yeah. And it's sort of something and nothing. And you end up with these, you, you know, the Gazala line. You know, I've said it before. I will say it again. It, it's <laughs> it's it is it is the nadir of British army thinking in the Second World War, yeah. certainly in the Western Hemisphere. It, it is just it's such a bad idea. And everyone's just, you know, Richie doesn't have the authority. You've yeah. got overmighty corps commanders from from Duke for, you know, from Duke nations and dominions, all kind of sort of having their two pen of no one's gripping the situation. You know, the answer is absolutely there under their noses. They've got 3.7 inch guns yeah. in the Delta in really seriously big numbers that would make all the difference. And all they need to do is to reinforce to Brook. Yeah. They don't because there's suddenly there is this backward step. And yeah. while the air forces are continuing to progress forward, and thank God they do, with, with ever more promising, you know, they absolutely learn the lessons from, from Crusader. They go, yeah. okay, that bit went really, really well. This bit is something we can hone a bit more. You know, you've got two air commanders in Cunningham of the Desert Air Force and Taylor yeah. of the um, RAF Middle East who are completely at the top of their game. I mean, they're absolutely on it. Yeah. They've got yeah. charisma, command abilities, natural leadership. They've got totally gripping the whole situation yeah. and they know how to get what they want. The absolute opposite is the true is is true of Eighth Army, and so when they have that backward step, when 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 Rommel counterattacks and does his 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 uh, um, yes sort of um, move forward in force in January, and they slip back to the Gazala line, that is where the seeds of the disaster of of Tobruk in June nineteen forty two can be found. But it's interesting though, isn't it? Because Orkinlet Orkinlet clearly knows his stuff. He he. Um, you know he makes he makes excellent calls during Crusader, doesn't he? Um, he, he yeah yeah he, 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 he but I think he problem. gets consumed he gets consumed by the by the same problems as well. You know he's 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 moved up Richie, who was was his yeah. kind of sort of you know his, his chief of staff to yeah. be Eighth Army Commander. So that basically he's got a puppet that he whose strings he can pull. You know he's effectively he's de facto. Eighth Army yeah. commander, even though yeah, he's yeah. also commander chief, and he's just too far away. He's and he's and he's managing too much. You know, commander, the Middle East command is is absolutely vast. He's got too much too much to think about, uh, and he hasn't made the right call about Tobruk. It's, about it's a very, but it's a very very strange turn, isn't it? Because because Crusader, if you if you if you then if you then um, do do the things you're you're saying he should have done, then Crusader is. Uh, is is a is a is a success in every in every you know it, it's it's you know it's one thing learning from defeat it's another thing learning from victory isn't it um uh, yeah. uh, uh, and they're not learning from their victory here or or what went wrong I mean in terms of you know anti tank net and all that sort of stuff it's very I mean it's, it, it it's a fascinating battle this because it's sort of you know the, the the to and fro in the western desert this is a big this is a this is a perfect example of it. You know, the Gazala stakes. Exactly, the pendulum swings one way, swings the other, um, and then and then finally at the end of nineteen forty two, swings swings all the way through. But uh, you, it, I mean, I find I find it's I find Walking Leck in this incredibly intriguing because he gets so much right, and and particularly in the middle of the battle where he reads it where he reads it right and he reads that that he reads that Rommel is quite beatable. Because Rommel, you know, Rommel's limitations are 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 completely readable, and you yeah. you know, if you look past Rommel's gusto in battle, you know, Rommel's Rommel's thing of shit or bust, um, 
only really works if you let him shit on you, as it were. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> you, I suppose you, you, so. So the, the, the real problem is the Gazala line, because it's 40 miles long, it's got these gaps in it, it's got these boxes, yeah. it's yeah. surrounded by lots of mines and stuff, but, but, but what you're doing is you're dissipating your forces, whereas you know, and, and it's saying, you know, we've got, we've got, you know, Rommel's pushed us back to this line and we can't go any further back. Well, of course, yeah. you can go further back because because territory means nothing in the desert, really. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not that important. Yeah. Whereas you've got this absolutely made to measure defensive system into Brook, which is like Torres Vedras. So you've yeah. got you've got, you know, you've got historical precedents as well. And you've yeah. got recent historical precedents, which yeah. is that in nine months of siege, Rommel hasn't been able to break it between yeah, April yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and November 1941. Yeah. So all you've got to do is reinforce that. And then you can build up your supplies and build up your supplies. Well, and they can't do anything other than turn and face it. And you're going to win because yeah. you, you let them come on, you trick them in the process of doing it, and then you counterattack. Yeah. And, and and Tobruk is a made-for-measure means. It, it, the, uh, this is my point. So you've got your anti-aircraft guns, these heavy anti-aircraft yeah, yeah. guns, which are like-for-like with the H8 millimetres. Um, they're two tons heavier, but we've got certainly got the trucks to, to, to tow them around. So it's absolutely no issue whatsoever. They're not needed in the in the numbers that they are in the in the Nile yeah. Delta. So they need to be moved up, and you need to massively reinforce Tobruk. And if that had happened, that would have been it. You know, yeah. there would have been no Alamein. Yeah. Yeah. And and Orkanek is in charge. And, and it doesn't matter how good he is in Norway or how good he was in, in the northwest frontier in the 1930s or how good he is before or after. He is in charge at the nadir of the British fortunes yeah, because, yeah. The, because the Gazala battle and the subsequent loss of Tobruk in, in June 1942 are catastrophic and, and totally needless. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and... And byproduct of of Crusader, so a byproduct of Crusader, and and it's because Crusader is the point where everyone goes, yikes, we haven't got anti tank guns to deal with this. It is the anti tank guns that that yeah. de- deal the hammer blow to the overall successes, that the, the complete success of of Tobruk. It becomes a success, but it's a it's a partial success, yeah. not yeah, a complete yeah, yeah. success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they are responsible for the complete turnaround of British tactics and morale within 8th Army. Yeah. And it That's is all down to those, an- those anti-tank guns, not tanks. Yeah, it's am- it's am- I mean, it's amazing, really, that that that, um, that from a victory you could you could draw such a, uh, you know, terrible conclusion, isn't it? I mean, mm. it's a... It's a, it's a, a but, fact- but the answer to that, this is the frustration, the answer yeah. to it is right under their noses. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. can't do anything about Matildas or Crusaders being undergunned. That, that you know, quickly. you've got that. Not quickly. Yeah. That you know, that, that that's coming, but it's not a, something that's solvable. Yeah. But there is a solution to it, which is to match but match the their thing, anti-tank guns with your anti-tank but guns. But the other thing it also the Crusader also shows is an aggressive mindset in taking on the Germans is is more, much more productive than a than a than a defensive one. Correct. Because if you're on a defensive mindset, you're in defensive. It's yeah, the same. Exactly. It's the same with sport. You, I mean, surrender, you know, you're a, surrendering the initiative. Whereas, in fact, if what you do is invite Rommel to overextend himself, um, uh, and commit him, you know, and fool him, and commit him to the wrong part of wrong part of the battle, um, you can beat him. Um, yeah. Uh, he uh, can charge off into Egypt if he wants, but he's not going to get very far if you've got to yeah. Brook. Yeah. 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 There well, you go. There we go. Well, I mean, you know, so we've gone from it being a brilliant Allied victory to uh, an unmitigated allied disaster. That's. 
The battle of Crusader giveth and it taketh away. Um, it's certainly uh, tough. I think it's very interesting um, that it's called Crusader. Um, yeah. you'd, I mean, you'd never get away with that now, would you? Um, no. Uh, uh, incredibly unpolitically correct to call a battle in the in, the, in North Africa something like that. And it's sort yeah. of it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because because sometimes British uh, operational names are called things like that, and other times they're they're called Epsom. You know. The, the, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah there is quite a quite a marked difference isn't there? there's quite a contrast and it's obviously i mean maybe maybe crusader is where you learn your lesson that you have to call them, you've got to call them things a little less ambitious <laughs> yeah just call it desert storm yeah exactly or enduring freedom you know uh, 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 <laughs> yes Exactly. Yeah, we've got to get away with that now. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well. Um, right. Uh, well, thank you for everyone for listening to um, uh, this episode of December mm. week, December forty-one week. We will be back with with uh, uh, more of this Titanic with Rob Lyman. This Titanic week in the history of the Second, most important week yeah. of the Second World War. Yeah, along with the most important tank of the Second. Yeah, exactly. The midfielder too, in all theatres. <laughs> the Matilda too. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a good. strong case to be made um, uh, we'll see you all soon thanks for listening everyone bye bye cheerio